Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association, with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the First World War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 6th of August 2018 and this is episode number 75. On today's podcast, I talked to Dr Linda Parker on her recent book about the life and times of Philip Tubby Clayton, which has been published by Helion. I spoke to Linda from her home in Oxfordshire. Linda, welcome back to the Dispatches podcast. Last time you were with us, we talked about Jeffrey Stoddard Kennedy, who is better known as Woodbine Willie. And this week, we're going to discuss another important uh, vicar during the Great War, Philip Thomas Bayard Clayton, better known as Tubby Clayton. So could you start um, by giving us a bit of background about why you wrote the book on Tubby Clayton? Um, Well, he's a a fascinating man who I've uh, known about since uh, really I became a member of Talk H when I was 18. But during my researches on army chaplains, he was one that really stood out. And so I decided that uh, I would like to tell the story of his whole life, not only uh, his his work in the First World War. Can you start by telling us a bit about... um, Tubby's earlier life, where he was born and where he grew up. Right, well, he he arrived in this country from Australia when he was a year old. Family came back from um, ranching in Australia, set up an import and export business in London. He was very well connected, always a member of the establishment. Uh, Wasn't much family money. He got a scholarship to St Paul's School and he went to St Paul's School, then went on to Exeter College, Oxford to read for history and theology and then went on eventually to be ordained. And did he come from a big family? Um, no, not, not, not particularly. He had brothers and sisters, but not, not an enormous family. But um, lots of cousins. He was, he was a cousin of Dick Shepherd, for example, quite well related in England. How would you describe his personality and character? And what impact did this have on people around him? Right, well, apparently he was quite eccentric from an early age. He got a reputation for being eccentric in school. He would talk to his headmaster as an equal, would go walking with him, discussing things. He was fiercely intelligent, quite eccentric. He would go off on a holiday, for example, just catching trap steamers to Europe and wandering around Europe, but always very friendly with everyone. His eccentricity didn't stop his uh, extreme friendliness. Everyone liked Tubby and Tubby liked everyone. Now that comes on to another question. Why was he called Tubby Clayton? Right, well, apparently he was quite tubby as a child. And um, from my researches, I think that he had this this um, nickname from school. When he opened Talbot House, it became obviously um, his sort of uh, very well-known name. But he was not extremely portly. I don't think that he actually liked his nickname very much at all because he didn't use it in any of his correspondence or any of his personal correspondence. But it was, I think, a powerful tool in people in engaging people and people thinking he was a a friendly chap. It was a friendly name, but I'm not quite sure what he thought about it himself. So before the war, he became a vicar and then went on the outbreak of war, he volunteered as an army chaplain. Why did he do that? And and how did he sort of square the role of war and religion? Right. Well, he was a curate in in Portsea Parish. And um, during his time there, 
he was very concerned with boys clubs and men's clubs. He knew how to get on well. Uh, they said his speciality was the genus boy. Um, so he got on very well um, with boys and men. He knew how to organise things. Uh, at the outbreak of war, he had to think about this. And he said, um, I quote you, after the war, there would be two kinds of men, those that have been in it and those who had not. He wasn't allowed to leave his parish. He was senior curate in the parish post. He wasn't allowed to just to leave his parish. So it wasn't until 1915 that he got to France. And one of the reasons that finally besides him was cancelling um, the widows of the, the men who had been killed on the Good Hope, the ship Good Hope in the Battle of the Falklands. And after having talked to all these widows and realised the enormity of war, uh, that gave him the final push to volunteer. And he went out in the spring of 1915. So he joins up in 1915 and he goes to France. So what does he initially do when he reaches Flanders? He was um, a, a chaplain in a base hospital at Le Trepot, which he found quite depressing. And then he moved on to become a chaplain with the 6th Division under uh, the Reverend Neville Talbot. And just as he arrived, Neville Talbot decided that he wanted to set up a rest and recreation house in Apopringay. And that was to sort of divert men from the flesh pots of pop uh, to provide a place where they could go, which wasn't um, a pub or a cinema or a dance hall. It was a, diff a, a rest and recreation place. Tubby arrives and he realised, he knew Tubby for a long time before that and he said ah just the man to start up my uh, to start up a rest house so he asked Tubby to start it and he did. So can you tell us about Talbot House and, and what exactly it is and how it's structured and what and what it looks like? Oh, well Talbot House is a, a, a rather impressive house um, in, in Poplingay where um, had been owned by a, a rich merchant before the war, was commandeered by the army when the owner had left it. It's still there. It's still Talbot House. But during the war, it to be, and there were Talbot set it up to receive uh, overnight officers who, was going, who were going to the leave train, and also as a day centre for any soldiers that wanted to come in, uh, if they wanted to write letters, if they wanted to chat to each other, have a cup of tea, uh, they had debates, they had concerts. It was called a haven, uh, a haven from in hell. Tabby always said, come inside and forget the war. Uh, so that was the, the idea. And the centre of the place was the chapel in the hot loft, of course. Uh, not that men had to go up there, but it was there. Many men did go to the chapel in the hot loft. And what was um, Tubby's role in actually managing and building the ethos of Talbot House over the war? Oh, uh, an incredible amount. It, it, Talbot House was him. There were reports of when he was away ill, away on leave, things sort of went downhill and people didn't know what to do. He was an amazing organiser and he had the gift for getting other people to do things. You know, he was good at delegating, say, find me a piano and somebody would go off and find him a piano. You know, find me a carpet, somebody would go off and find him a carpet. And it was the ethos that he instilled of equality because even though the conventions of rank were observed in Talbot House, there was a much more equal atmosphere. Uh, it was a place where, say, two brothers, you know, one was a private and one was an officer, they could go there and sit down and have a cup of tea and a chat, which is probably the only place that they could go. In Tubby's study, there was a sign that said, um, uh, all rank abandon, you enter here. And in his study, there was no rank. The general could sit down and have a cup of tea with a private and, and then resume. So it was, um, it was definitely his, his driving ethos of classlessness of equality uh, that made it um, that gave it part of its atmosphere.
and we know that Talbot House is very uh, famous now, but what, it, what experience did it have on the faith and lives of soldiers who had visited it during the war? Well, they would enter Talbot House, and if they were religiously inclined, they would make a beeline for the chapel. There were regular services in the Hoploft. Some, uh, to be said, come upstairs and, and see the chaplain. Um, lots of soldiers went were actually baptised there and confirmed there who found their faith there during the war. Uh, unfortunately, some of them made their first and their last communion there. There were regular communion services. Uh, generals like Lord Pluma used to pop in to pray and he said, you know, he found this very helpful to go up to the uh, to the upper room. Um, it had a, a, a big effect, I think, on people's who had faith, it sustained them, but also it had an effect with people who had no faith, who found faith in Talbot House. What impact did the war have on Tubby Clayton's faith, uh, and how did he view the conflict as the as it progressed? Um, it's difficult to say. He uh, he became quite he became quite stressed at times because he had to go home ill uh, with malaria. But I think there was quite a lot of stress involved as well he sort of struggled on basically always cheerful always happy always trying to make the best of things whether or not that was his inmost thoughts i don't know but all his outwards all his outward statements were of optimism during 1917 and the, the passchendaele battle um in some of his letters you can see that he's getting quite depressed about the state of the war but he's always got his faith and he's always instilling that faith into other people so uh, I know we're used to the war changing people, but I think basically Tubby was very much the same at the end of the war as he was at the beginning. He just carried on. I mean, it's a, it sounds like a very much a, a stoic sort of a, a acceptance of the conflict. Did he believe it, it was a, a conflict worth fighting? I know that's a really difficult question to, to answer. I think that he thought really the war was in some ways irrelevant to what he was doing in Talbot House. He said, come in and forget the war. You know, he said, this is a place where we can not discuss the war. It wasn't, nobody discussed the war in the house. They had debates about obscure things. <laughs> they had concert parties. And I think he lived in a way in a sort of a sort of bubble. You know, he was there for to serve the people who came to the house. Um, and also he went out to visit the artillery groups around in Ypres where he didn't only stay in the house. But, I mean, I may be wrong, but from my researches, I got the impression that he tried to ignore the war as much as possible for the benefit of the people he was trying to cheer up and minister to. So we come to the end of the war. What does um, Tubby do after that? Well, he spent six months... Um, helping uh, to set up an ordination school because during his time in the house, many men had come to him and said, you know, when the war is over, I would like to be ordained. So he kept a list of their names and some of them had no educational background at all. So he set up this, this school, which originally was in, in the 2K and then moved over to Nutsford in England. So he spent the first six months of the setting up this school as a test school to see if their vocations were there to give them the educational background to go on to university, uh, to go on to do ordination training because that was his main priority after the war but then he, he came home and he decided that the ethos of Talbot House of classlessness of equality of service of friendship needed to be preserved in some way so he thought I know I'll set up a movement to preserve this and his original idea was to set up um, houses 
in London so that um, young men who were working in the city and didn't have anywhere to go could come and live there and form a little society together, helping people, helping each other. But then the whole Talk Age movement sort of took off and branches started forming all over the country and new houses started opening. And then it became an international movement. Um, so it, it grew very, very quickly from this basic premise of starting something to carry on what he felt to be good about Talbot House. So why is it called Talk H? Right. Well, T was uh, was the uh, sorry. Talk was the signalers, the first World War signalers uh, symbol for uh, T. I think it's changed. I think it's Tango now, isn't it? But it was Talk, and then uh, H abbreviated for House. So instead of saying I'm going over to Talbot House, they'd say, Oh, let's pop into Talk H. Was it originated in the war? And then he thought this was a, a good um, a good thing to call it. Uh, over the years, people have said it's things like to conquer hate, for example. They've you know sort of developed different ways of looking at it. But it was the signalers parlance for for Talbot House that um, was originally the, the 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 name. And did he return to to ministry? Yes, um, he went um, in 1923. He went to become vicar of All Hallows in London, a uh, very prominent and important parish, and he stayed there until his until he retired until his death. Um, but at the same time, um, carrying on with Talkage, in 1923, Talkage became incorporated by royal charter and started employing lots of people uh, to run it. But Tubby kept his hand on the helm, and because he had curates in in All Hallows, he was able to go on world tours promoting. He went in 1925 to, no, to America and Canada, then he went to Australia. So he was in his parish, but he used to skip off to promote Tokage every now and then. So what did he do later in his life during the 30s and the Second World War? In, in the 30s, he uh, concentrated very much on um, developing All, All Hallows as a parish. You know, it, went, uh, it became a very um, busy and lively parish with lots of social uh, where I'm looking for. He did lots of social things for society in and around All Hallows. In the Second World War, he decided he wanted to join the army again, but because he was over 50, they wouldn't have him. So he went to Scarpa Flow and set up a Tokage um, in the Orkney, set up Tokage rest houses there. And then he decided he wanted to go on oil tankers. So he joined the Merchant Navy and went on possibly some of the most dangerous ships in the Second World War to minister to the people working on oil tankers. Uh, and he did that all through the Second World War. And then after the Second World War, did he retire and or did he continue on with his work? Uh, no, he went on until 1972 uh, in All Hallows and still taking an active part in Tokage. And he also was part of something called the, the, the Men's Volunteers, where he arranged for people from America to come and work in the, the uh, deprived areas of London and people in London to go and work in the deprived areas of New York. So there was a sort of exchange. One of the things he did uh, was, was that. Um, and he was very involved with a lot of the business in uh, All Hallows, you know, the port business, the insurance business. He went around all the offices. So he kept himself busy as well as keeping an eye on Talkage. He was still the main man in Talkage, basically, but he had people to run the administration. Linda, what do you think the impact of Tubby Clayton, uh, Talbot House and Talkage has been over the last 100, 100 years or so? Well, uh, personally, I think that um, Tubby Clayton starting the Talkage movement has one of been uh, a very large legacy from the Great War in that it motivated a man to create a national and international movement, which is actually still going strong. I believe that um, Talbot House is still open and you're able to visit it to this day. 
Oh, absolutely. And it's such a lovely experience. Yeah, everyone must go to Talbot House. And if you go, go up to the, the chapel at the top of the house. And the atmosphere there is electric always. You can can almost feel the sort of you know, sort of the cloud of witnesses of people who were there in the First World War. Finally, Linda, where is your book available from? Um, well, as they say, all good bookshops, I think. Um, but uh, it's published by Hellion, and so it's available from their website, and it can be bought online on the, the usual channels. Linda, thank you very much for your time. OK, thank you for having me. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Buthworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth, performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time.